This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Dark. Welcome to Better Reading. Well, thank you very much for having me to visit, Cheryl. Um, this has been, um, it's really nice to have you here because I, I was trying to remember when we had dinner. Was that last year, September, October? I think that's about the sort of time it was. Yeah, and there you thank go. you for that beautiful meal. You're such a great cook. <laughs> you know, I try. Um, but it was a lovely night. I think for me, um, I mean, I do enjoy cooking, but it's about the people around the table, isn't it? There were some good stories told too. There were some really good stories <laughs> told. Okay, so Minnie, um, for those of you that don't know her, is also known as Danielle Wood. So she's a Gemini, a knitter and a cutthroat Scrabble player, a lover of books, of course, freshly sharpened pencils. Do you know I read an article today that the pencil is dying? I, I refuse to believe that, Cheryl. Yeah. I, I, I can't believe that. I love the pencil. So do I. I love a pencil. Mm. Um, but there was an article, I think, in the New York Times this morning. Anyway, I'll send it to you. Um, and Russian, is it caravan tea? Yes. So, yeah. I I'm a big tea drinker and Russian caravan is my blend is your of choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, I don't, I, can't, I don't have a memory of what that tastes like. I like orange pico. Under the name Danielle Wood, Minnie has written a variety of short stories, novels, non-fiction books and children's books, including The Alphabet of Light and Dark, Finding Serendipity and Housewife Superstar. Described as a glorious mix of Marianne Keys and Love Actually, Minnie's latest novel is Starcrossed, a, a delightful romantic comedy that follows one young horoscope editor as she rewrites the stars to try and snag her dream man. Now, can I tell you, we have a lot of people that come in and out of the office from, you know, different authors, different publishers, and we have a schedule up on the wall of what we're working on. And I can't tell you how many times another publisher, like a a publicist or a marketing person, whatever, has come up and seen your name up on the board and said, oh, I love that book. Well, that's really nice. It is um, really nice. It is. It's been a bit of a, a special journey, this book. Uh, in some ways, it's taken 22 years to write it because it was about 22 years that I first ago that I first had the idea for the story. But then, you know, it took me about 18 months to write it and um, very different kind of style of writing for me compared to things I'd done before. So I sent it off to my agent really not knowing what to expect. Uh, and, and who is your lovely agent? My lovely agent is the terrific Gabby Nayer of yes. the Nayer Agency. And Gabby... <laughs> I, want you, I want you to give her a plug because I ran into her um, at a function. I can't remember whether it was this year or last year and she was singing your praises and I thought, oh, isn't she a great agent? She is. She's A Capricorn. I think you should always look for a Capricorn agent. Um, right. My accountant is also a Capricorn. Um, so anyway, when uh, Gabby sent the book out for publication, there were quite a few publishers who were interested. So I had a difficult decision to make when, uh, you know, all these lovely publishers were 
uh, offering and um, it was tough but in the end Penguin Random House and fabulous Bev Cousins there just put together such an amazingly creative pitch that I couldn't resist. I think she's a wonderful publisher. I couldn't agree more and uh, I think just seeing the creativity that they could put together in a short time made me think I want to work with them. They're really, really creative people. They really are. Okay, so um, it's firstly, I don't usually do this. I usually go to the book at the end of the conversation because the point of the Better Reading podcast really is to find out how the story of you and how you got here. But I think because there's so much um, uh, astrology in this, we're going to go the other way around, okay? So tell me about Starcrossed. Uh, so let's just tell the listeners what it's about and then we'll start our conversation about you. Sure. So in my first career I was a journalist and when I was in my early 20s I worked at a very small newspaper, very small staff. I had a powerful login that gave me access to the entire publication and I remember sitting there late one night realising... This was in Hobart, realising yeah. I had access to the horoscopes in this, in this newspaper and I thought I could rewrite the stars. Imagine if I had a friend who was particularly into the stars. Maybe I could make them really creepily accurate for their lives or perhaps if I knew they had a big decision coming up, I could influence that decision by rewriting their horoscope. And it was, you know, a mischievous thought. It's quite powerful. It was a mischievous thought. And I'm not saying I definitely ever followed through on it, but I realised right back then, oh, that would make a good novel. There's a novel in that. So it kicked around in the back of my head for years and then I sat down and, and wrote it and it's the story of a young journalist called Justine uh, who meets up after quite a long time with a, a boy that she knew in childhood and had a crush on in her teenage years and they meet up as young adults. He's struggling to become an actor, she's struggling to get her first foothold in journalism and um, he's an Aquarius and he takes a ridiculous interest in his star signs. She's a Sagittarius, she's a sceptic but when the job falls to her to transcribe um, the horoscopes into the magazine where she works. She realises she could just tweak them a little bit and perhaps get Nick's attention that way. So what follows is a lot of um, misadventure as she tries to get his attention. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. The book is divided into 13 chapters. It starts and ends with Aquarius, which is Nick's star sign. Um, And then there's a chapter in there for absolutely everybody. And in between those chapters, there are these sections called cusp. And in the cusp sections, that's where we find out that Justine's uh, meddling with the star sign is having an effect not just on Nick, but on lots of other Aquariuses out there in the world. So the ripple effects of what she's doing go out and out and out into the world. So we meet lots of people in the book. Uh, So lots of secondary characters in this book. People like Len Magellan, grumpy old man in a nursing home who is tempted to disinherit his children but will he do so hmm. he'll rep- he'll look to his horoscope to find out um young zadie who's a airline hostess she's uh, inconveniently pregnant at the age of 23 is she going to keep her baby or not she's going to read a horoscope to find mm. out big so decisions. big decisions um i should hasten to add though that even though there is a bit of astrology in the book you don't have to know anything about astrology no. to enjoy it justine herself the main character really doesn't know anything much about astrology Uh, And I do find that even if people say, oh, I'm not into astrology, they will tend to know what their own star sign is. Of course. I'm not into astrology, but of course I know what my star sign is. And, you know, occasionally I'll have a sneak, like I'll read something, and oh, that's a load of crap, I'm not going to to take that on board. (laughs) And see, I sort of learned about 
you know, the various signs and the stereotypes that are attached to them when I was a child because I grew up with a mother and grandmothers who read magazines. Yeah. So there would always have been a Woman's Day, a new idea, a Women's Weekly kicking around. I subscribed to Dolly magazine back in the 80s. Mm. And so January would roll around and you'd get all these um, specials on your year ahead in the stars. And I know, remember those. Having not a lot else to do on summer holidays, you know, I, I would sit around and read you know, these astrological features. So I sort of inadvertently got quite, quite a good grounding in astrology when I was a kid. Where does it come from? Who does write it? Is it like, is there a, a one guru where all this information comes from or where does, where does it come from? Oh, if you start to have a look around on the internet now, there are just a vast amount of sources of astrological information. So, I mean, you can do diplomas of astrology. You can do advanced diplomas of astrology. Mm. So, um, you, know, you can apply... So who to... writes them in the newspapers and magazines? Well, of course, in the Australian newspaper here in Australia, we have the really fabulous and very funny Mystic Medusa. Yes. Uh, she would have to be my favourite. And would she originally write those? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Right. But the, the, the kind of column that I was dealing with when I was a journalist in my early 20s, was one of those very syndicated columns. Right. And the same stock phrases would come yes. out all the time, which gave me an inkling that maybe they were spat out by a computer rather than actually well, that's what I written thought. by hand. Yeah. And one of the phrases, strangely <laughs> enough, that used to come up all the time was, small animals will be important in your life today. <laughs> And yeah, as it happens, small animals often are important in, in have you my got day. A cat or a dog? I have two dogs and, and a range of uh, smaller animals. Right. So, yes. Okay. So that's true. Yeah, lo- lots of creatures in, in, in my life, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So, um, are the stereotypes quite accurate? I mean, even I find myself thinking, yeah, I mean, I don't know that much about it, but yeah, no, she could be that. He could be that. I'm an Aries. 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 So your birthday is is very soon, Cheryl. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's Sunday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Ram lady. (laughs) (laughs) But do you think those those stereotypes are true or we'd like to believe them? I think that people really enjoy either conforming to or confounding the stereotypes of their own particular sign. I think people enjoy the tribal aspect of horoscopes. So, you know, I was out to dinner recently and the waiter and I somehow discovered we had the same birthday. So, you know, we got up and we hugged, yeah. you know, because we had the same birthday. So obviously we're connected in some yes. spiritual way or something. But when you find out that someone else is an Aries like you, yeah. um, you, know, it, you do tend to feel that perhaps you have that little bit of common ground. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting how we like... Um, that there's so much we don't believe, but there's so much that we just want to believe because I think well, particularly with horoscopes because it's it's nice, it's it's feel good, it's not necessarily awful. I'm, I'm not aware of any wars having been fought over astrology exactly. and people's beliefs in them. So I, I think in the scheme of things you can believe in, it's probably relatively harmless. I think so too. And I think in a world where there's so much negativity, it's actually quite nice to dwell on things like that. Yeah. There is a little bit uh, towards the end of the book where um, Nick is musing on the fact that it's one little bit of magic in his day. Like why does he believe in astrology? Why does he um, make his decisions based on a horoscope? And um, I think it's – I think one of the things I'm trying to get at with this book is that the original World Wide Web is just that we all live together on this planet at the same time and the things that we do have an impact on other people. The small choices that we make can have Mm. enormous ripple effects somewhere else in the world. So, I mean, if you think about some of the biggest events of your life, 
if you go back a few steps, there was probably a very small decision that put you in the right place for that big thing to happen to you. Absolutely. So cause and effect is actually a, a you know, a colossal concept. Yeah. And I think part of what I'm trying to get at in this book is just we are all connected. You can call it astrology if you like. You can call it whatever you like. But the thing is that the things that we write down on paper and then other people read. Um, That's a the, connection. The way we interact with people, the decisions that we make, um, the, all those things will have impacts yeah. you know, right down the line on other people and their lives. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. That's that's very well said. Talk to me about your career and how it all started. So you're a Hobart girl. Have you been a Hobart person through and through? Yes, I'm very deeply Tasmanian, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, what does that mean? Well, my parents were born in Tasmania, all my grandparents, most of my great-grandparents. Wow. So um, I feel very fortunate to have grown up in such a beautiful place, mm. but also a place that's really rich in stories and the closeness of the community there, I think, makes our storytelling very intense. Mm. Tasmanian people love to read local content. They support their local authors just extraordinarily well. So I think it's an amazing place to be a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up in Hobart, went to university there, um, became a journalist. And then when I was in my mid-20s, I went to Western Australia to do my PhD in creative writing. Mm-hmm. And I did. That's my, a long way from home. It is a long way from home, but I, over there I met the wonderful Richard Rossiter, who was my PhD supervisor, and he, um, you know, put me through my paces with my first novel, which was called *The Alphabet of Light and Dark*. That was published in two thousand and three, and it won the two thousand and two Vogel Literary Prize. So okay. that was a huge moment for me. I suppose I thought I had a career mapped out in fiction then, having you know, written a novel, won the Vogel Prize. But I wrote that book when I had a boyfriend and a puppy and before very long I had a husband and a baby. So then I wrote short fiction. I wrote Rosie Little's Cautionary Tales for Girls because that's what I could write when mm-hmm. I had a, a young mm-hmm. baby a- and a job by then too. I was teaching creative writing at the University of Tasmania. Then uh, when it came to my next book, I had a husband, uh, a little girl and infant twins. <gasps> and I thought for a while there I was never going to be able to write again. Yeah. Or do anything else. Or do, that or do anything except <laughs> breastfeed. I sort of imagined that might be it for the rest of my life, just <laughs> sitting on a couch with my boobs out actually. Yeah. Um, but uh, Did you know, were there twins in the family? Yes, I have twin aunts. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. Wow. And Tauruses, my beautiful twin Taurus aunts. Yeah. Anyway, so my, my little Capricorn babies were born and so after they were born, I wrote non-fiction. I wrote a book called Housewife Superstar, The Very mm. Best of Marjorie Bly, which is a book about a crazy Tasmanian woman who was known for writing books of handy home hints. Right. Um, she was an extraordinary lady who, who died in 2013 and a huge exhibition of her crafts and things like that is just about to open at the Queen Victoria Museum and Art. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Gallery oh, in Launceston. So Marjorie was, you know, an extraordinary subject for a biography. But when I had little babies, I could write nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I got back to fiction in 2014 and I wrote a book called Mother's Grimm which is the only book of mine that's never won a prize, it's never been published in a foreign language. Um, but and I, why do you think that is? I don't know, but I still think it's... I think I'm very proud of that book. Yeah. Um, I wrote it between 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock in the morning. Wow. Because that was the only time I could be guaranteed that no one would interrupt me. And Weren't um, you meant to be sleeping at that time? Well, I wasn't. I was writing because I really wanted to write that book and, mm. and I did it. So I'm very... I'm proud of that book for all kinds of reasons. Yeah. Anyway, I also wrote a trilogy of children's books with my very dear friend Heather Rose. She's, of course, the author of The Museum of Modern Love, oh, stellar award-winning novelist. Yes, I was thinking, well, until I met you, she was my favourite Tasmanian author. She's so lovely. She's just superb and yes. um, I feel so fortunate that she's one of my dearest friends and actually writing together in as a children's author, Angelica Banks, has been... I think I can speak for both of us when I say it's been a real watershed in our careers because working so closely together, we observed each other's process and I think we both learned a a good deal from each other and it was a little bit like swapping superpowers or something. I feel like I came away from that, you know, with a a new cape or something. So having worked with Heather gave me new skills to to join up with my existing skills. Um, I think it's a, it must be, I mean, it's difficult. The idea of writing for me is very difficult. But um, in the conversations that I've had with, you know, almost over 150 writers in the last two years about writing, what, what the view I get that it's, that it's, imagination and skill right so it's having the story and it's that story whirling around in your head and then that story coming to life on paper and I think a good story a good fiction novel is getting those two perfect you know uh, because a lot of people don't but you know a lot of people do so it seems to me to, to be so personal as well so to share that process or to do that with another person just can't imagine it well, we had to learn a, a lot in yeah. order to collaborate on fiction. Uh, someone did say to us once, would you be able to write an adult novel together? And we both immediately said no. no. But there was something about going into that different space of writing children's fiction That's together. Right. Not that we think it's easier. I mean, no. Ursula Le Guin very famously said that writing fiction for children is only as easy as raising children. Yes. Uh, so it's not that it's easier, but we were stepping into a different space so we could create a different joint author, a, a voice. Yeah. So Angelica Banks writes differently to either Heather or, or I. It's, she's, um, she's quite different. Yeah. You've got the uh, pseudonyms on the go. Tell me about that. Well, 
I have to say I like a bit of mischief. Yes. I enjoy mischief. Yes. That's the first thing to say. <laughs> the second thing is I actually wonder if the very first step in writing fiction is perhaps not to invent the book's ideal writer. So when I sat down to write Starcrossed, I invented Minnie Dark as the book's perfect writer. Now, if you think about it, it might just be naming something that already exists every time you write a book. Because if you sit down to write a book, who is the narrator? Is the narrator me? Or is the narrator a version of me? Or is the narrator the book's first character? And those are really interesting thoughts. So I've just decided in this instance that the narrator of Starcrossed is a character and her name's Minnie Dark and she's a Gemini and she uh, has these certain qualities, some that she shares with me and some Some that are a little bit different. I'm I'm sure she doesn't have twins. (laughs) (laughs) She she has a lot more time than I do. Tell she. (laughs) And um, so I really enjoyed that process of inventing this new person to, to, to write for me. And, you know, I have a lot of books in my head that I'm hopeful I will get onto the page um, in my lifetime. And some of them seem to belong to me, being Danielle Wood, and some seem to belong to Minnie Dark. Yeah. So you will go back and forth with... I hope so, yes. I I guess it's a bit like being an actor. I heard Hugh Jackman, or I think it was Hugh Jackman once, say that you should never be Hugh Jackman. Um, and that's why he resists being out and about and walking the red carpet is because the actor that he is is the character that he's in at the time. It's the same sort of concept, isn't it? And my husband uh, gets a little frustrated sometimes by how much each new book takes over my life. Yes. Um, During the Rosie Little phase of my life, you know, the the world was very full of... um, Red Shoes and Elephants because there was a character in one of my stories who inadvertently became renowned for collecting elephants until she just had... And she didn't even really like elephants. People just kept giving them to her as gifts. Right. And so this set off something in my life and people started to give me (laughs) elephants. I could imagine Um, And then during the Marjorie Bly phase of my life, there was a lot of obscure cooking and... um, I, at one stage, I borrowed a lot of Marjorie's things, and my house smelled of mothballs. So John didn't enjoy that phase quite so much. No. And then now, star-crossed things with stars seem to be kind of finding their way into my life. What star sign is he? He's an Aquarius, right? Okay. Like the romantic hero right. in Starcrossed himself. Right. Yeah, yeah. Soft spot for Aquarians. Soft spot. I like that idea because it's in character, isn't it? Yes. Yes. It and makes sense to me. If you're going to do this thing, you do really need to live, eat, breathe, sleep where you want your imagination to live for this period of your life. Mm. So I work in a a gypsy caravan in my backyard Mm. and it has a window that looks over a little section of the Derwent River and around the window I've got a cork board and one of the things I do when I start a new novel is clear away everything from the last novel and gradually start to put up on the pin board all the things from the mind map of the new book. Mm. So, you know, it might be things I've torn from magazines, it might be postcards I've bought in galleries, it might be maps of foreign cities, notes from friends, anything that is helping me to envisage the new world that I want to live in. Mm. Yeah, it does make sense to me. And that's a really great way of putting it. I guess because you are a teacher, you can articulate that. Talk to me about teaching people to write. What is that process Okay, like? so I have been teaching people to write for 15 years now yeah. and I am still learning all the time. Mm. And I actually had a huge epiphany last year that 
and you know, this is 14 or 15 years into my teaching career, that actually not everybody in instinctively understands, not everybody who comes to a creative writing class instinctively understands that you have to spend an awful lot of time in your imagination even before you put the pen to paper. Mm. So I've started to do a lot more work around that that step that comes before the pen going to the paper, mm. doing what I call playing the movie of the scene in your head before you sit down and try to write and it. And also the idea, like developing the idea, isn't it? That's what I was saying earlier, that mm. I find sometimes the idea is not executed properly, that it's not fully developed, yet the writing style is okay or vice versa. And so when you read a good book like Starcross, you've got those absolutely down pat. I think that... Um, I think there can be a tendency to think, you know, and of course this is not everybody because yeah. I get an enormous amount of incredibly talented, really instinctive writers in my yeah. classroom as well. Yeah. Um, there's a tendency to think that you're making it up as you go along. And, mm. and then to, the, to a certain extent that can be true. Mm. But once you start, then you need to really live that world. Someone said to me once, how do you keep hold of all of the characters in this book? How do you hold them all in your mind? And I said, well, you think about your life. You know who your neighbour is and who your aunt is and you know all of these different people that you work with and you can keep track of who their pets are and what their stories are. Absolutely. So you've got this huge map in your mind already of all the people that you know. It's just that writers are doing that in two realities at once. They're doing it in this life and they're doing it in whatever life they're living inside their head as well. Yeah, that makes sense to me kind of multitasking at an imagination level isn't it I and we've talked about this a lot of better reading but there is a renewed interest in Australian writing and Australian writers and I am seeing a lot of people um, come to us and they've written you know a really good book and a lot of them are debut fiction writers as well and I've, I'm always thinking about why that is. I've been in the industry for 30 years and it's the last couple of years is the first time that I've seen it to this level and it makes me so happy and it makes our readers so happy and our community happy. But is it... I was thinking recently, could it be the writing schools? Could it be... Because, you know, there wasn't so long ago where there weren't creative writing classes... I would like to say I think creative writing classes get a really unfortunately bad rap. Every do few they? every few years someone writes a an article that says, "Look, you don't really need to do a creative writing course to become a writer." And of course, that's true. You you don't necessarily need to. But nobody seems to have terribly much argument with the idea that if you want to be a painter, you can go to art school and learn to paint. And if you want to be a sculptor, you can go to art school and learn to sculpt. Or if you want to be a brain surgeon, you've got to go to medical school. That's right. Yeah. Uh, or if you want to go and be a you know, concert pianist, you might yeah. need to go and, and practice at a conservatorium and so on. So the idea that there's something impure about going to a writing school mm. as opposed to... Do you know, to, I've not heard that. Oh, every few years there'll be a big article, you know, that'll really have a lash and say actually going to a creative writing school can you know, damage your creativity and turn you into a cookie-cutter writer or whatever. It's, you know, the, the thing is it, it's you saying to yourself, I'm going to carve out these three years of my life or however long you're going to be in the creative writing class 
and during that time I am going to learn this skill and I'm going to practice this skill. Because there is skill. Like I, you know, we get sent a lot of stories here Mm. and sometimes there's no end, there's no beginning, there's no middle, there's no end. There's, you know, and you think this person really doesn't, needs to do a course about how to write. I mean, you know, it's like music. You need to actually, if you, practice and keep refining your craft and mm. you know it just doesn't come out magically does it no and and i think that creative writing classes are a place where people can talk about writing and they can through workshopping they can see how other people's stories emerge because otherwise all we're reading is published fiction which comes at the end of a process it's really helpful to look at other people's fiction that's at the beginning of the process and where you can see there's something beautiful here but it's not quite there yet and what do we need to do in order to get it from this emerging state into a complete state. So you have the opportunity not only to sort of troubleshoot your own fiction but to troubleshoot other people's fiction and you learn a lot um, oh, I'd imagine doing you would. that. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I celebrate, love, enjoy about creative writing teaching is that my students are so different and I have no desire for them to write in a particular style or write in a particular way I absolutely want them to write the story that only they can write Um, so it's the process of trying to get every story to be the best it can possibly be on its own terms rather than trying to mush it into any kind of preconceived um, idea of a story yeah yeah that, that makes perfect sense to me that you need to learn something it really does. And I do. I, I think that the, the we've got so many fantastic new writers around is because that they have studied the craft of writing. They've got great ideas. It's a great storyline and they've been able to communicate that in a book. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a good time for Australian fiction writing. Do you agree? Well, I certainly can never keep up with the amount of wonderful books that I would like to read. My bedside table is groaning with, um, you know, with books I really want to get to. Yeah, so that's exciting. I'm hoping for a, um, a technological advance somewhere out there in the future where you can maybe get a, like a patch. Yes. For a book and you just pop it <laughs> on your arm and then you've just, you've read it. Yeah. <laughs> Might help me keep up. That's fantastic. Oh, well, we'll leave that to you to come up with that invention. I'm sure it will pop up in a book at some point. Um, Mini Dark, or shall I call you Mini or shall I call you Danielle? I don't mind. Either way, it's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.